When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Now it's time for another episode of The Children's Hour, stories about Trump family dysfunction told by Amy Willens. Amy, of course, is a longtime contributing editor at The Nation, former Jerusalem correspondent for The New Yorker, and best known for her work on Haiti. Amy, welcome back. Thank you, John. Well, today we're not going to talk about Ivanka and Don Jr. and little Eric, Instead, we're going to talk about Donald Trump's own childhood with his older brother, Fred Jr., his sister, Marianne, the one who became a federal judge, the other sister, Elizabeth, and his younger brother, Robert. Robert is the one who sued their niece, Mary Trump, daughter of Fred Jr., trying to stop publication of her new monster bestseller, Too Much and Never Enough, How My Family Created the World's Most Dangerous Man. First, tell us about Mary Trump, our author, the daughter of Donald's older brother. She's got an MA in English Lit and a PhD in clinical psychology. I guess that gives her standing to write about the emotional structure of their families. I guess so, although, you know, um, many writers have not had those degrees and have still written about the structures of their families. Philip Roth is one. I mean, family uh, dysfunction is a favorite topic of writers, and this is a great uh, book in that classic mode. And I feel really honored to cover two generations of this family. (laughs) (laughs) I look forward to Arabella's memoirs. (laughs) Well, Mary's father, Fred Trump Jr., he was called Freddie, was the number one son, the one picked by their father, Fred Sr., as a child, who the one who would be the head of the family real estate enterprises. Donald was son number two. Not a good position to be in, especially in a family like this. What do we know about Fred Sr.'s expectations for Fred Jr. and his other son, Donald? as kids? 
Well, what you would think is this is the royal family of England. I mean, the first one is the first chosen. The second one will take over if the first one falls out of line for any reason. So uh, Fred Sr., he's a great figure in that he's a literary type of figure. He's just completely obsessed with himself, completely obsessed with his ambition. And he is, he's really a fortune builder in the traditional immigrant mold. I mean, he'll run you over, he'll do anything. And his ambition for Freddie, uh, his eldest son, was that Freddie would continue to uh, push the family legacy into the future uh, under, under um, Fred Sr.'s guidance, uh, if you can call it that, paternal guidance. Uh, but Freddie was really having none of it. I mean, he wanted to please his father, according to Mary. So all of this is according to Mary, which means, because Mary is Freddie's daughter, that a lot of it is according to Freddie. And as even described by Mary, Freddie is not the most reliable witness. So you, I mean, much as you want to take everything in Mary's book as the gospel truth, because it does fit into what you think about Donald and where such a creature could have come from, you have to look at it with a grain of salt. Freddie, the anointed son, uh, failed miserably at everything for his father and then finally died of alcohol-related problems at age 42. The daughter, Mary, the writer of the book, was only 16. I can tell you as a 16-year-old who also had a father, I didn't know much about him when I was 16. So it's unclear you know, what she knows. She did go back and do interviews. I mean, she, she tried to write a real book, definitely. Mary says that Fred Sr. wanted little Fred Jr. to learn about lying, cheating, and doing whatever was necessary to promote the business. And little Freddie tried, but he really, quote, wasn't that sort of person. He wasn't that sort of person. She says, and I believe it's true, that... Um, Although Fred Sr. really didn't care what happened to his daughters, uh, Marianne and Elizabeth, he did care about the sons, especially the first two. And he wanted Freddie to be a killer. That is the word that Mary uses to describe what was really sought by Fred and his sons. And as she says, a killer? She says, that seems an inappropriate thing to want from someone who is going around to housing units in Queens asking for rent. <laughs> but nonetheless, that is how he envisioned his sons. And, and Freddie was not that. The most vicious thing that she cites Freddie doing, other than secretly buying airplanes and boats behind his dad's back, is uh, dumping a pot of mashed potatoes onto Donald's head when Donald was a little boy. <laughs> and it was richly deserved because, she says... Donald was, as usual, tormenting his teeny little brother, Robert. And he would take Robert's Tonka trucks, Robert's favorite, favorite toy, and he would hide them all over the house so that Robert couldn't find them. And then he would go like, I know where they are, but you don't know where they are. And then Robert would cry and throw tantrums and Donald would freak that the parents would find out. So he would say, be quiet or I'm going to take them apart in front of you. And then Robert would scream some more and go running to his mother. And finally, when Robert went, ran to his mother once, this is what the mother was like, he runs to Mary, that's the mother's name, and Mother Mary takes the Tonka trucks and puts them in the attic. So who won? Donald effectively won. He got the, the toys away from the little brother. It is just, it's just typical craziness in that family. 
I want to ask a little more about their mother, Mary Trump. I read that when Trump first moved into the Oval Office, he put up only one photo behind the Resolute desk, his father. But in several months later, he put up a photo of his mother. This suggests she was not the kind of mother that our recent presidents have had. You know, Barbara Bush, mother of George W., or Bill Clinton's mother, Virginia Kelly, or Obama's mother, Ann Dunham. These were mothers who were the the dynamos, the powerful forces pushing their children to to succeed in, in the world. It seems like Donald's mother, Mary Trump, was not in that mold. You know, there's a very good story that goes with that, which is uh, the family comes uh, to the White House to a dinner for Marianne and Elizabeth, who have nearby birthdays, to celebrate the women's birthdays, Donald's sister's birthdays. And it's the first time they've seen the Oval Office since he's been in it, and they see Fred Trump staring at them from behind the Resolute desk. And one of the girls, one of the aunts, so one of the women, says, why, how about mom's picture? Don't you think you could put that up? And he goes, like, as if he's never thought of it. Great idea. <laughs> and then he goes to some staffer, he goes, somebody get me a picture of my mom. <laughs> so that's how she joined Fred there. But she was um, absent. And she was absent from Donald's life at a very early moment where it was really important to have your mother around. She had either a miscarriage or a problem from uh, the final birth of Robert that hadn't been attended to. And she was found by Marianne, Marianne, age 12, in a bathroom, unconscious, bleeding. And so she was rushed to the hospital. She was saved, but it was touch and go. And from then on, she was really a little bit kind of batty. And they would find her, the children would find her on the top of a ladder, painting a hallway in the middle of the night, or from time to time unconscious in one room or another. I think she was having some mental problems and depression and you can't really tell, but she wasn't a touchy feely mom, even when she was present. And when Donald was, I think two and a half, when this hospitalization right. crisis occurred and, and I think she was- And you can't rely on the dad to take her place because he is unpresent in every way, except negatively. And, the, and his mother at age two and a half was in the hospital for like nine months. So at age two and a half, his mother disappeared for almost a year. We don't need Sigmund Freud to tell us. And we don't need Mary Trump to tell us, but she does tell us. You have to be held, you have to have response, you have to, and and, uh, dad was not that kind of person. Many dads at that time, I have to forgive Fred Trump a tiny bit because most dads I knew at that time were not like touchy-feely, kissy, diapery types of dads. And Donald Trump said, like, I'm never changing a diaper in imitation of his dad when his children were born. And they just, you know, so he was left alone. All the kids were left alone. So when Donald was 13, uh, his parents sent him to military school. It's a boarding school, 60 miles from home. He wore a uniform. This is the kind of place where shoes have to be shined, beds have to be made, students are not allowed off campus during the week, no female students at the school. They learn how to fire rifles and mortars. They march around under tough drill sergeants. Why did Donald's parents decide to send him away when he was 13? All the kids went to this kind of local school for a while. And Donald's father, Fred, sat on the board of the school. So really, you could do no wrong as a Trump kid. 
there, but Donald could. And finally, the school was uh, fed up, and they didn't say anything to him, but another board member said, maybe Donald would do better at the New York Military Academy. <laughs> um, and, you know, Mary says what she heard from her grandmother, which was that Donald just never did anything the grandmother asked him to do, his mother asked him to do. He never cleaned up. He never did his chores. But he never, never was obedient or did anything he was supposed to, and he was a slob. And then he got booted to military academy. His mother never complained. She never said to her husband, no, no, as far as we know, I want Donnie home. No, off he went. And interestingly, after all of Mary's painting of Fred Sr. as this uncaring father who never paid attention to his boys and really never paid attention to his girls, Every weekend from eighth grade through senior year, Fred Trump Sr. went to visit Donald 60 miles away because he knew that this was a hard place for his kid to be. His kid got bullied for the first time and not being the bully. I mean, it must have been a very shocking experience for Donald. But I think that what it did was he figured out a way to cope there and to be the big bully and to, you know, march around in a uniform. They all like uniforms in that family. So we haven't really said anything about the sisters in this family. We know that Donald's older sister, Marianne, became a federal judge. Then there's this other one, Elizabeth, who we never hear anything about. Where did the daughters fit into this family? For Mary, her Aunt Marianne is a complicated figure. Uh, first of all, she's, of course, very intelligent and had a lot of hopes and she did what she wanted to do and she had to take out loans to go to law school, Mary Ann Trump, uh, because she wasn't given money for that at the time when she didn't have her hands on her money. She wasn't given money to go to school and she did it all on her own until she got her first judgeship, I believe, through her, through her brother's connections with Roy Cohen. That's what I understood from this book. But then she went on yes. to, to um, be a perfectly serviceable jurist, and Bill Clinton named her to the appeals court. So she's not a nobody. She's a serious person. And inside the family, she talked a little bit to Mary. She acted a little bit like some kind of familial glue in a family that really for uh, a bunch of immigrants was very waspy. You know, there was none of this warmth of the immigrant family that we so believe in in the United States. They didn't speak. The men shook each other's hands. They never showed any warmth. It was not an intimate situation in the family. And sometimes Marianne would breach that uh, code and speak to her niece. But you don't get that much of a feeling for her. And there's the Crisco can story. So this is an incredible story. Marianne uh, is a young adult at the time of this story. And she's living in a Trump building rent-free and she has the Trump family health insurance. And she married a guy who, um, you know, had big plans like Donald, but they didn't ever happen. So he's unemployed and she has no money for her and the kids and they can't eat. This seems incredible to us, yes, with that money. But again, it is that no man's land where the rich kid doesn't have her hands on the money yet. So um, she goes to her mom and she says, she can't go to her dad because she knows she'll get nothing from him. 
She goes to her mom. She says, mom, I know it seems crazy, but I can't buy groceries. And her mother, and she says, how about, how about the Crisco can? And her mother says, okay. And her mother goes and gets the Crisco can, which is filled with, as Marianne knows, quarters and dimes and nickels. And why is it filled with that? Because it is the laundry money of the Trump empire. And Mrs. Trump, every weekend at that time, was going around to every building with her Crisco can and putting the money that the tenants had put into the laundry machines into what in a Jewish family would be a charity can <laughs> and putting it all in there, taking it home and using it as her petty cash. I guess she didn't get petty cash from her husband. And this is how Marianne fed her children for a good long time until she got rid of that husband. Unbelievable. The, the Crisco can. In the Trump family, a Crisco can for the laundry machines. Mm. And, and it's being done by the wife of the founder, not by an employee. And then there's this other person, Elizabeth. I barely even heard of her. The best story about Elizabeth in the book is uh, one of the grandparents is in the hospital. And Mary, who's not often seen by the family, comes to visit the grandparent in the hospital. And Elizabeth is there. And they're in the hallway together. And Elizabeth has a little package. And Mary thinks, my gosh, my family never gives presents except at Christmas on Christmas. And Elizabeth says to her, this is for you. And she takes it and, and Elizabeth tells her, she says, it's a Timex watch. Uh, you were given it at age 10 and I felt you were too young to have anything so nice. So I took it. Now you have it. That's it. That's it for Elizabeth. Goodbye, Elizabeth. We don't hear from her again. And Marianne in the end, uh, not so nice, is held responsible by Mary for the cutting off of health insurance for Mary's brother's son who has uh, a seizure issue. He's 21 now, but at the time he was a little boy uh, when the wills were read and when Mary and Fritz, her brother, contested the will, which basically cut them out substantially from the family fortune, Marianne decided that a suitable punishment for them would be to cut them off from the family, the regular family health insurance that all Trumps received for their whole lives from the estate. They cut them out. Mary Trump, niece of the president, says about her uncle Donald, our president, quote, I can't really think of any way in which he's evolved or changed from the person he was when he was a teenager, close quote. You know, it's so easy to read the book and say, oh my God, he's just the way he was. It's almost as if she's made it that way, but you can't tell. I mean, when we all watch him, we feel that. We feel, everybody says the child in the White House, the toddler throwing tantrums. He feels like a baby you can't control, a teenager who stays out too late and doesn't call you. So, Mary Trump, trained psychologist, applies her professional training to her uncle in the White House. And her conclusion is, after his mother stayed in the hospital for almost a year when he was two and a half, he'd been abandoned by her, and then she was rather distant ever after that. His father failed to make him feel safe or loved or valued or mirrored. So Donald suffered deprivations as a child that would scar him for life, quoting from Mary Trump, 
This explains his personality traits, narcissism, bullying, and grandiosity. What do you think of the diagnosis? I would go a little bit like, yeah, that's true. And we see that in him all the time. But many, many kids suffer worse, far worse than just having a mom in the hospital and a not very caring, kind dad. And they are perfectly huge, full personalities who deal with life every day and love people and take care of people and don't abandon whole nations to pandemics. So I think you have to say that uh, Trump had a personality defect, possibly inherited from his dad or learned from his dad that went beyond these sad things that happened to the little boy. And I found it very hard in reading the book. And I'm a person who really cares about children. Any child you give me, I care about it. I found it hard to really sympathize with what she was claiming for her uncle because because once you have that kind of power, you have to uh, get over your childhood trauma. And he can't, whatever for whatever reason, whatever limitations he has. She also says he has an undiagnosed learning disability, she believes, some severe learning disability that always held him back in reading and in curiosity. And that seems reasonable too. But yeah, she's right in looking at him now and, and then extrapolating back, but does one forgive? To me, that's a big question. I don't think she does. Mary Trump's book is, of course, called Too Much and Never Enough, How My Family Created the World's Most Dangerous Man. Amy Willens is our reporter on Trump family dysfunction. Amy, this was a great one. Thank you very much. Thank you, John. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.